Before we get started, we're adding this little soundbite into the beginning of this episode to correct something that we learned after putting it out. And like we always say, we Mm -hmm. think it's important to learn and grow. And when you guys take your time to give us new information that helps us be better, more open-minded, more understanding people, that's what we want to put out. So please thank you. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much. And we got a couple people that mentioned it. Because you definitely don't have to, and you did, and I love that. So Correct. In this episode, we talk about different sexualities, including bisexuality, which we were obviously not fully educated on. Yeah, we thought, learning the new information, I was like, holy shit, my mind is blown. Yeah, same. I thought that bisexuality was within the binary, like either men or women. And that's why I was like, I never fully have felt like I, f- I fit in that queer universe. Right. This or that. Yeah, one or the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you were like, oh, just give it a couple years and it won't be a thing. Yeah. And then we just moved on and kept talking. Mm-hmm. We got some emails that were like, actually, that's very, very biphobic. And I, I was like, I never even heard of the word biphobic. I I had and I, I never and I only attributed it to by erasure in that men can only be straight or gay. And if a man right. falls anywhere in the middle, you know, especially cis men fall anywhere in the middle, then they're just, they're just on their way just on their way to gay. Yeah. That's what mm-hmm. I always thought that was. And I was like, well, I don't believe that. I believe people can be anywhere on the spectrum and da 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 da. So mm-hmm. learning that that was also part of biphobia was like, holy shit, we need to verbally correct ourselves and not just take it out we're gonna leave it in so that because correcting our own ignorance can also help maybe somebody else get the idea of it too do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. like if somebody didn't fully explain it to me i would have continued with that mentality yeah i've i mean i've literally like my whole life been like "Mm, no that's not the right term for me i'm i don't just like men or just women. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's all part of a fucking huge thing. Right. And more than one person. I, I hate saying like men and women are each on a different end and there's everything in between. It's like, no, it's all together. It's all, you know? yeah. And more than one person referenced the bisexual manifesto, which was really interesting. Which I had never heard never of. Never had heard I'd of. Never heard of that. Um, and it is more spectrum. Do you want to read that? Somebody sent an excerpt yeah, of it to too. Find it. And thank you to everybody who said anything. The people that we did get messages from were so cool and awesome and respectful and yeah we said some ignorant so, shit okay and so it says you know. Sorry. Yeah, this is what they copied and pasted. Um, the Bisexual Manifesto, as published in 1990, states, Bisexuality is a whole fluid identity. Mm-hmm. Do not assume that bisexuality is binary or duogamous in nature. That we have two sides or that we must be involved simultaneously with both genders to be fulfilled human beings. In fact, don't assume that there are only two genders, which this is 1990. Yeah. Wild. Like, damn. It also goes on to state that there are as many definitions for bisexuality as there are bisexuals. Mm-hmm. Another definition, bisexual, of relating to or characterized by sexual or romantic attraction to people of one's own gender identity and of other gender identities. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my God, other. That doesn't mean right. my gender or some other. It's all genders. It's the yes and of sexualities. Yeah. 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 It fucking blew my mind. I was like, 
I do fit in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and it's fucking wild. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I always felt that it was a restrictive. Uh, I guess I never knew what the real definition was. So I appreciate knowing now mm-hmm. I wanted to put it in here because I didn't want to continue to perpetuate something that we learned differently of. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's what this is about. So please go on to enjoy the episode and know that that portion of it is no longer where we're at and no longer our understanding of it. And we have our super great listeners to thank for that. Yeah. Thanks so much, you guys. Love you. Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye. All right. Welcome to SVU Pod Especially Heinous. I'm Tasha. I'm Gabe. <laughs> I wanted to do the Bugs Bunny thing and see if, if you'd actually be like, and I'm Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Gabe. What? Oh, my God. Duck season. <laughs> we are on season five, episode 20, Low Down. Happy Pride Month, everybody, as well. Mm-hmm. What a wild fucking episode to kick off Pride Month with. Oh, my God. I didn't even fucking Ugh. think of that. I know. So we're on season five, episode 20, Low Down. Mm. Fucking, I'm so white. This whole time, I'm like, I'm such fucking white bitch. And what? <laughs> I just, just like, even the way I said, low down, low down, instead of like, <laughs> stupid. That's the white way of saying it. I don't know. Just, I don't know. There was just some, this whole episode. I'm like, low diddly down. Let's oh, get started. About- <laughs> <laughs> let's blow this. Let's blow this popsicle stand. Strapping gang. Strapping gang. We got some, we got so many raisins to put in shit. God, why do we do that? (laughs) Everybody grab a tub of mayo and let's get on the road. (laughs) It's spicy. My toothpaste (laughs) is too spicy. All right, opening scene. There's a couple of beat cops. They're running off some sex workers in a parking lot. They're making fucking stupid comments, you know, just being like, well, you're a bunch of sluts. <laughs> I mean, they didn't say that, but like, come Equally on. as shitty. Yeah. They come across this trans sex worker and they're just making fun of her. Calling her a man and... Whatever. And she's like, no, I'm not. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, don't explain yourself to these fucking pieces of shit. This is actor, composer, comedy queen, drag hostess, and performer, Harmonica Sunbeam. Whoa. She's, yeah. As she's walking away, they like make fun of her more when she leaves. Just fucking saying shit. Because they're garbage. They spot a parked car and they think that someone is, quote, getting serviced as they speak. So they're walking over and they're like, hey, zip it up, sir. Both of you get out of the car. When they get closer to the car, they see a dead dude in the driver's seat with red cloth tied around his neck. And they're like, whoa. <laughs> so it's a crime scene now. Benson and Stabler show up. Stabler's wearing a hat. And I wonder if his hair dyeing days are done. I don't know. It was a trial run the past few episodes. I don't know. The victim was a white male in his 30s. Stabler thinks that a sex worker blitzed him because there doesn't seem to be a sign of a struggle. Mm -hmm. Then Stabler says, quote, I've never seen a hooker use her hot pants to struggle a John. Uh, What the fuck are hot pants? But whatever. Benson says they aren't hot pants. They're fucking gym leggings. And then Stabler says, so we're looking for a hooker who works out. That should narrow the search down. And I was like, what? Is that surprising? Um, also, leggings are for relaxing. Just ask me. <laughs> right. Who exercises in gym clothes? I wear jeans. <laughs> gym. I, wear, I, wear, I wear cut off shorts on the treadmill. There are no dozens shirt, of us. But, but, <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> a condom with semen and lipstick on it were found in the car. The credit cards and ID are missing from the wallet, but the car is registered to Jeffrey York. He lives in the west side of New York, two blocks away. Benson recognizes the name and asks to see the body. When mm. she sees Jeffrey's face, she tells Sailor that the victim is an ADA in the Bronx and she used to date him. <gasps> For like four seconds, and she's like, I know him. And then Stabler's like weird about it the rest of the episode. You're too close to this. <laughs> the fuck? You literally kick people in the face you because they're a dad. You literally questioned were... somebody who was being accused of murdering Kathy. Yeah. He can handle it though. He's a man. Right. That's true. Men are better at punching <laughs> holes in the walls of their emotions. It's like, you know that anger is an emotion, right? You know that, right? <laughs> now we're at the precinct. Benson and Stabler get into Cragen's office and Benson gives Cragen some coffee because she's an angel because mm. it's super early. Cragen's all worked up because he had to give the news to the Bronx folks about their assistant ADA being found dead in a known sex work district. And the Bronx guy on the phone didn't want to jump to conclusions, but Benson and Stabler are like, mm, you sure about that? <laughs> like, sure about, sure that? about that? Sure about that? That's not why. It is why. <laughs> I love that part where you say, are you sure about that? That's not why what happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the three of them go over the case. Benson says that sex workers usually cut or stab somebody, not strangle them. Benson thinks that a female sex worker doesn't have the body strength to choke a guy, but like she didn't use her hands. She used leggings. She had leverage. Yeah. So I don't know about that argument. The element of surprise, leverage. Craigan mm -hmm. mm -hmm. speculates that, uh, quote, and he did it. There's a whole lot of this. I'm not going to say it again, but I'm just saying there's yeah, a whole lot the, of this. That's the only time. Yep. We got a lot of heavy quotes around that shit, but we can just, we know what we mean. Yeah. Benson shoots down the idea saying Jeffrey wasn't that kind of guy that went for street sex, nor did he prefer trans people. And I'm like... Mm. She dated him. Like, how How would she actually know? You wouldn't actually know. And then I said, you're too close, Benson. Because I was thinking she dated him for like longer than two blocks or whatever. <laughs> no <you> shit. <laughs> yeah. My only response to that whole speculation so by you, her is, you don't know that. Okay. <laughs> sure about yeah, that. People have kids in it. <laughs> Yeah. Craigan throws around the idea that Jeff was set up. Toots comes over with new info. The prints on the car came back to a Kevin Brown, who is now known as Keisha Brown, one of the sex workers that was in the parking lot mm -hmm. that night, the one that they were giving shit to. They keep throwing around that fucking word and it's gross. Your 2004 is showing and it's really embarrassing. Ew. Oh my God, you have a little 2004 in your teeth. Ooh, right there. Get it out of there. <laughs> well, they're going to go talk to Keisha. So Benny and Staves are now doing a little street walk and talk with her. Keisha denies killing Jeffrey. And she just goes, not me, boys and girls. I didn't kill him. Which I love mm -hmm. that she referred to them as boys and girls. Mm -hmm. When it's brought up that her prints were on the car, she turns like she's going to run. But I think Stabler's tired or something because he just yells a little annoyed. Stop, stop. But he doesn't take his hands out of his pockets. Like, doesn't even yeah. like he's going to chase her. It was funny. She goes, okay, fine. Be cool. My shoes are glued. She tells them that she touched the car but didn't kill Jeffrey. He was already dead and his wallet was gone. The only thing she took was a blue gym bag from his back seat. When asked where the bag is, Keisha hesitates and wants to know if she's going to get brought in for murder. And Stabler tells her they'll discuss that if she tells them where the bag is. She has a very good reason to hesitate. Multiple very good reasons. 
Like the mm-hmm. where she yeah. is on the privilege spectrum is so far to one yeah. end. It's like, yeah, I'm going to be wary of fucking saying anything to you guys. But yeah. she does. She tells them the bag is in a dumpster by an underpass. She tossed it because she said the clothes didn't suit her. Mm-hmm. In the underpass dumpster. Oh, hi, diddly ho. If it isn't Ryan O'Haran. <laughs> rummaging around in the bin looking for the bag. You fucking <laughs> ate that fucking R. Ra, ra, Ryan O'Haran. Ryan O'Halloran. <laughs> He's in the dumpster talking shit about sex workers when Stabler reminds him to just keep looking for the blue vinyl bag. As CSU searches, Stabler asks Benny about her relationship with Jeffrey and he's super cool about it. He's like, I mean, you never mentioned it. So like, what's up? She dated him five years ago for about a month. And this is when I was like, um, okay. Mm, You're acting like you really knew him well. I know. Yeah. Have you talked to him in five years? (laughs) Exactly. And she just goes, nice guy, no chemistry. To Stabler, as they're touching noses. And I'm like, you know where there is chemistry, you guys? Mm -hmm. Just then the bag is found. It contains a top that matches the leggings found around Jeffrey's neck. There is a badge in the bag for Tina Gardner, an investigator for the Bronx DA. Stabler speculates that an office romance went wrong. And Benny's not sold Mm -hmm. because she's like, why would she leave the bag in his car? They need to call Tina. Oh, shit. At Perk's Cafe, Tina tells them that she and Jeffrey played handball two nights a week. Hold on, I want to look up handball. Oh, it's a team sport, so they weren't, like, playing it together. Two teams of seven players pass a ball using their hands with the aim of throwing it into goals of the opposing team. It's soccer with your hands. Oh, hand soccer. Yeah. Yeah. There's some handball hardcore listening right now, and they're like, it's so much more than that. All right. They used to play handball together. It's not. It's soccer. It's It's soccer hands. Hand soccer. Soccer hands. Pastrami sandwich soccer hands. That Monday night, Jeffrey drove them to play and she left her bag in his backseat. They were just friends and she actually seemed pretty insulted when Stabes asked her if they were more than that, even though that's a Mm. pretty standard question. She's like, "Ah, Mm. barf, I was his investigator. (laughs) She spoke to Jeffrey the night of his death around 6 p.m. at work. He told her he was going home. And then she says... Paying for sex wasn't like Jeff. That is not a thing that a lot of people openly share with their work slash handball friends. Yeah, they're not like, oh, God, over a cup of coffee. I was balls deep in this hooker last night. Like, Yeah, like what is... What you know what I mean? It? And then I came. Can you believe it? It was crazy. <laughs> Anyways, I, you, you want to share some apps? <laughs> I mean, it'd be great if people would be able to be more open about it because it's not a shameful yeah. thing. It's not a shameful thing. It's not a shameful thing. It's the oldest job in the world because it's not a shameful thing. But yeah, but yeah it's just, it's not something that... Why would she know that? They play handball twice a week. (laughs) Benson asks Tina what was in the bag and if she had lipstick in there. Tina describes the red workout clothes and the brand and shade of lipstick. Melanie Jones blush rose. She asks them why any of these details matter because it's got to be Alvarez. Who's Alvarez? Hold your Gutenberg staves. I'm going to tell (laughs) you. He's a dude they convicted for murder the week before. Alvarez told Mm. Jeffrey he was a dead man in freaking open court. Mm. Tina says that Jeffrey shrugged it off but suggests that they talk to the other ADA, Andy Abbott. Which as soon as I heard that I was like, Andy Abbott. Alex Cabot. Maybe Witsec has just gotten really shitty and this is Cabot with a mustache. I fucking wish. I wish they would lean into the comedy more. Now we're at the Bronx DA's office. Benson and Stabler speak with Andy Abbott. Shit. This guy, Michael Beach, is in everything. He was T.O. in Sons of Anarchy, ER, a 
ton of eps of Third Watch, Waiting to Exhale, fucking True Romance, the Dahmer miniseries as Detective Murphy, fucking wild. These are just a few of his, I'm drooling. (laughs) (laughs) These are just a few of his 162 credits. He's constantly working, okay? It was wild, like I was going through his credits and it's not common for an actor to have like six reoccurring roles across multiple series in one year, but he's doing it consistently, like every year. He's currently got five projects in post-production. This guy does not stop working. Hmm. Yeah, he looked familiar. Abbott says that Jeffrey wouldn't make a plea deal for Alvarez. He does not buckle. So Alvarez is a small-time dealer trying to go big. He fucking strangled three people. He was charged with two of the murders and got away with one. In one case, Alvarez's lawyer got indicted for jury tampering. What? but they couldn't prove it. In another case, their chief witness recanted and then disappeared. Interesting. Hmm. Abbott discussed how everyone was worried about Alvarez getting revenge, but Jeffrey would not budge. Abbott shows a tape of Jeff making a statement to the press about not backing down. And like, if we give into this shit, we can't do our jobs properly. Mm-hmm. Abbott says that Jeffrey fucking loved being a DA. Benson points out that Abbott seems more worried than Jeffrey was. And Abbott's like, yeah, dude, Alvarez was more vicious than most. Abbott wanted Jeffrey to carry a gun just for a while, but fucking Jeffrey just laughs and he was like, I'm too afraid I'd shoot myself by accident, which is why I don't have a gun. Yeah. Or that like, I'll get startled and shoot somebody. <laughs> If I had a gun, I'd have to hide it for myself. There's no point. Right. (laughs) Yeah, so Jeffrey wouldn't do it. Abbott tells him to go see Alvarez in jail and to tell him that Jeff says hello. Mm. So now we're at Rikers Island. Alvarez, like, immediately admits to putting a hit on Jeffrey, but his lawyer, Charlie Horner, says he doesn't know what he's saying. I'm like, okay. This guy. The lawyer or Alvarez? The lawyer. If he was a woodland creature, he would be a transatlantic beaver. Like, did you hear his accent? He talks like like a movie movie star from the 40s. It's like, oh, I resent your implication, detective. (laughs) I didn't notice at all. Oh, my God. Transatlantic beaver. Elvridge keeps talking shit and saying, yeah, the ADA put him away. So, of course, he's going to put a hit on him. And his lawyer is like, he's just having a little fun here. And Benson gets in (laughs) Alvarez's face and she's like three feet taller than him and says, you want to have some fun? Go to Coney Island and ride the cyclone. Burn. (laughs) I don't find dead prosecutors all that amusing. Alvarez is like, it's just a joke. Jeez. And does that thing that fucking every ex-boyfriend does where he's like, you're fat. I'm like, hey, that hurts my feelings. It's just a joke. Jeez. Jeez. You're like, oh, take an improv class because you suck. <laughs> you're not good at comedy. His lawyer says that Alvarez is angry about 25 years in prison, but not enough to kill a DA. Benson asks his lawyer, Horner, if he did it for Alvarez and then brings up the whole jury tampering thing and the witness who recanted then disappeared. Mm-hmm. Horner tells Stabler to tell Benson to relax. And he was like, excuse she's right here. Yeah. It was gross. Yeah. And then he says that he and Alvarez had nothing to do with Jeffrey's murder. Horner and Alvarez are open about their phone records and emails and shit. Horner already had them shits printed out and hands them over. Alvarez says to check with the warden because he hasn't had anyone come visit him besides his lawyer. So no more at the precinct. The gang goes over the case updates. Horner and Alvarez's stories check out. Munch ran the MO for Jeffrey's murder and didn't catch a match. He is also searching through Jeffrey's case files. Cragen tells him to run it again and put in the leggings, the car, and sort it by location. Toot says since 9-11, everybody's got to swipe their car to leave the courthouse garage. Jeffrey left the work parking lot at 614, which matched is Tina's story. 
Coroner Warner's office says he was killed between 9 and 10 p.m. The Bronx DA, Francisco Martinez, comes into the office and he wants to talk to Craig in privately. So they go into his office. Martinez actually came to give them information because Craig is like, sorry, we don't have anything for you. And he's like, no, I got shit for you. Mm. It's Jeffrey's bank statements that were mailed to the office two weeks before Jeffrey died. The Bronx DA office was investigating Jeffrey. An informant at Riker says that Alvarez was bragging that he bought Jeffrey Jeffrey off to throw the trial. Fuck. Mm. They found ATM withdrawals for $500 every three days. He wasn't paying his bills and his credit score was super low. They're trying to figure out what he was into, like drugs or gambling. Martinez says he doesn't know, but he's taken this whole thing away from his people and given it to SVU. Yep. Over at the precinct soda machine, Staves is grabbing a can of TV brand soda to give to Craigan, but does Gabe's cool guy grocery store zucchini flip before handing it to the captain? <laughs> Did you see that? Where he's like, he pulls it out and he's like, flip, 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 flip. Here you go. It's like, you just shook it up, dude. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it is when there's something in my hand that is rectangular or like long. I just want to flip it. I just flip it. I did it like at the grocery store the other day. Yeah, it's a cool guy move. You're a cool guy. I'm a fucking cool guy, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I don't even realize I'm doing it. That's all like naturally of a cool guy I am. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. She don't and know. It out makes... She's a cool guy. <laughs> Staves and Craig and are talking about the soda machine. Okay. They're going over this information. At the time of his death, Jeffrey had $30 in his bank account. The tox report for Jeffrey came back clean, so he wasn't doing drugs. Stabler also mentions to Craig in that he thinks Benson's getting overzealous about the case. Uh, okay. Craig doesn't bite on the gross and tells him that he might be too if he were her. Like, of course she's upset. How is she being overzealous? She hasn't even done anything yet. So far, I've only seen her do her damn job. Just mm-hmm. then, Benny comes around the corner. Shh, here she comes. So I said, wrecked him. Damn near killed him. <laughs> oh, hey, Olivia, what's up? <laughs> she comes up. She's got new info. She had the lab run another test on the lipstick. And Stabler's like, uh, you didn't have to do that because the lab would tell us if they had anything. And then he kind of side eyes to Craig's like, do you see that? This is exactly what I mean fucking you're her best friend you're the number one guy in the group fucking relax take a step back she gets to be on fire for solving this case and in any other case this is just her showing initiative that's all this is yeah she wasn't even like worked up worked up she was just like hey guys check this out and then she literally goes said well hold on elliot i'm not finished and he Mm -hmm. was like he made a face like excuse me and like looked at craig and like see what i mean she's being irrational and hysterical i'm like what like the face that he made to craig and was like look at her talking to a man like this can you believe it i mean she's a woman at the end of the day (laughs) right it's crazy okay so benny's like anyway men the da tina whose gym bag was in the car said that she carried blush rose lipstick but we didn't find any lipstick test results show the lipstick on the condom matched the blush rose whatever Mm. the brand and the flavor the brand and the (laughs) color shade 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 craigan doesn't buy that a sex worker found the lipstick put it on then performed a sexual act on jeff and stabes goes well then who's the gal with the lips My radar goes up the second they gender an unknown perp, okay? Mm-hmm. Craigan wants them to have the lab check for saliva on the condom. Can we go to the lab now, Stabler? Is this a good time for you now? Because Daddy Craigan was like, why don't you go to the lab? In the crime lab, CSU Judy updates Benson and Stabler on the things that she found. No saliva was found on the condom, but the lipstick left a clean print. It wasn't smudged like it would be if oral sex had been performed. Mm-hmm. The condom was used and then the lipstick print was made on it. Benny says, you're saying she put a condom on him, killed him, and then Stabes jumps in and goes, 
and kissed it afterwards. You are excused for the day, sir. <laughs> just leave. What yeah, the fuck? What? You need a fucking nap. Gross. I mean, he was like jumping in with just unnecessary commentary that I hated. Did you notice his hair at all or no? No. God. Okay. I even thought about it at the beginning of the episode, too, when he was wearing that hat. The second scene, he had his hat on backwards, and I was like, I'm here for this. <laughs> Boom. Corner Warner's office. Benny and Stabes are getting her findings. CSU Jude's sent Corner Warner photos of the lip prints, so Corner Warner went back to re-examine Jeffrey's genitals for signs of sex. If Jeffrey had sex before he died, there would have still been semen in his vesicles, but there isn't any in him or on him. The semen in the mm. condom doesn't match Jeffrey's DNA, so there were two men in the car. And Stabler makes the comment to Benson, no wonder you and Jeff didn't have any chemistry. He was gay. <laughs> <laughs> Get fucking off at Stabler. I knew this was coming too. It's like Ugh. one or the other. He probably turned gay because you're ugly. Straight, that was so straight of him. It was <laughs> annoying. It was so gross and annoying. Mm. And Benny's like, yeah, that's probably why. In the precinct, Craig and Novak are doing a little walk and talk. So the tabloids already posted the stories about Jeffrey being in a gay sex scandal. Keisha's DNA didn't match what was in the condom. All they know is that Jeffrey York was gay and had sex with another man sometime before he was killed. Can I stop you right now? Are you not going to mention Novak's bangs? I did. Look at that. Oh, my God. Is that an Oriole? What the fuck? I've never seen that. <laughs> hold on. I did see the bangs, and I was like, how come she can have bangs? But fucking, hold on. Oh, oh they're together. There was this tiny little yellow bird with uh -huh. another bird that was a lady, so it wasn't bright. Uh. And it just landed right in front of me. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. Benson says that Jeffrey's wallet was stolen, but the credit cards were not used, which would rule out a robbery. But it seems like it was made to look like that to throw off the coppers. Stabler thinks that since this was a well-known, quote, lover's lane, maybe Jeffrey just picked up a random guy and they had sex. Mm -hmm. Craigan thinks that the murder could have been accidental, like maybe Jeffrey, quote, liked it rough and things may have gone too far. Benson jumps in and says that Jeffrey seemed pretty vanilla. Just like quit. You don't know anything about this guy. Right. Just stop. Right. Let's just leave any assumption that you know anything about him. He's pretty vanilla to you because he doesn't want a bone. He's not into you like that. Or maybe it's only because you guys hung out for a couple weeks. Yeah. I think, doesn't Stabler say that where he's like, you guys maybe didn't get to like yeah. the down and dirt. It's like you meet a guy and he's like, uh, hey, here's a flog full of diamonds. Have at it. <laughs> murder me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> edge me with murder. <laughs> Craig and Stabler tell her that maybe she didn't know him well enough or date him long enough. And I like 400 million percent agree. Yeah. Even though she shot Stabler this insulted look she's like i'm a fucking freak bitch like you have no idea <laughs> i made all those diamonds that he put in the flog with my butthole that's how fucking <laughs> weird i am dude <laughs> craigan sends benny and stapes off to jeffrey's apartment because it's still sealed yet so now we're at his apartment benson checks his date book not much info at all mostly stuff with other people from his office benson does see that he had drinks with abbott the night that he died but he didn't mention that. And then I said, mm. oh, my God, I'm calling it. York had HIV and him and Abbott were in a relationship and Abbott was pissed and killed him. Mm. Close. That's pretty close. Yeah. Stabler finds that he has a shit ton of medical bills that were paid in cash. 
There's like a 10K worth of bills. Benson's like, dude, he has insurance through the DA's office. Why would he pay in a pocket like that? Stabler starts checking the medicine cabinet. He finds a shit ton of meds and they are for HIV treatment. Maybe Jeffrey paid some bills in cash so that the DA's office wouldn't find out about his diagnosis. And then I wrote, oh my God, I knew it. Like I wrote that down. <laughs> I just did that. It was like I knew he had HIV is what I meant. Oh yeah, yeah. Outside the apartment, they do a little mini walk and talk. Stabler brings up Benson sleeping with Jeffrey and she's got to get tested. And she's like, uh, Stabler tells her to go to an anonymous clinic so no one finds out. And then he offers to go with her, but she's like, I got it. I'm fine. How scary for her. Like stressful. That's got to be stressful for anybody. Yeah. Now we're at Abbott's house. He tells Benson and Stabler that they always went out for drinks after work. And he didn't tell them because, yeah, he was upset and must have forgotten. They tell him that Tina told them that Jeffrey said he was going straight home. And Abbott doesn't know why Jeffrey would lie about having drinks with him. Abbott says that Jeffrey told him that he was meeting someone for dinner. And they ask who it was. And Abbott's like, I didn't ask. He doesn't really talk about his personal life. Stabler asks Abbott if he knew Jeffrey was gay. He seems kind of shocked, but not really. He says he didn't know Jeff was gay. That's fucking bullshit. Yeah. Abbott's wife comes out and says they're going to be late and the babysitter just got there and there's like this cutie little kid and the camera cuts to Stabler's face just smiling and like being a dad too. (laughs) And then he fucking grabs Abbott's head and slams his knee into it (laughs) because there can only be one dad. And it's fucking Stabler. (laughs) This was so like mainly, I mean, it's called low down. So we know it's down low. Right. But Mm -hmm. this is just a performance of being straight. Like as soon as like, did you know he was gay? And he's like, I'm definitely not. Welcome to my wife who I've clearly had sex with. See the result. Isn't she cute? (laughs) Yeah. I'm a dad. I've got a date night with my wife. Better get out of here before I get put in the (laughs) doghouse. Straight people. (laughs) Right. I've never once unloaded the dish washer or loaded it (laughs) so abbott tells them that the night he left jeffrey at the bar jeffrey said he was just gonna hang out for like 30 minutes before his dinner date abbott went to go play his weekly game of poker Ooh, dot, dot, dot. Benny and Stabes head to the hotel bar. The employee they're chatting with remembers Abbott and Jeffrey. She goes, if I'd been drinking instead of work, I'd have hit on both of them. <laughs> and I'm like, honey, you can do both. Like, I've never given my phone number to a guy I was waiting on. Hello. She says Abbott left first, then Jeffrey left about 30 minutes later. They're like, cool, thanks, bye. They go for a little walk and talk through the hotel. They think this hotel is perfect for someone who isn't looking to be seen by anyone who knows them. Like, it's kind of out of the way. It's not in the neighborhood. Like, what's Abbott doing out here? Mm -hmm. And what's Jeffrey doing out here? They had to ask some questions to the dude at the front desk. This guy at the front desk is the ringside doctor from the movie Creed. (laughs) That is a Rocky movie. It is. Yes. I was like waiting for you to react excitedly. Stop doing that with Rocky stuff. I don't know anything about it. I'll never be fulfilled. I don't know why I care. I'm sorry. I want that. I want to provide that for you, but I just don't don't. know anything. This dude also has an audacious butt cut for not the mid 90s. Okay. Oh my God. This guy's haircut was (laughs) straight out of my junior high yearbook. He says Jeffrey was a regular there. Jeffrey stayed at the hotel once a week. He always checked in alone. And the night he got killed, he wanted a room, but they were booked. This dude, the front desk attendant, offered to call around to find him a room, but Jeffrey said it wasn't important and he left. He was by himself when he left, but when Jeffrey arrived, the front desk attendant saw him talking to ex-pro football player Deshaun McGovern. Mm? Mm. And Stabler's like, oh, sweet. Yeah, he was a running back for Miami. 
sports, but mm-hmm. now dude's a real estate guy. So Benny and Stabes are going to have to talk to him too. Now Benny and Stabes go to Dushan McGovern's fancy office. It's filled with stacks of paper and football trophies. Dushan says he met Jeffrey at a kid's charity benefit. When he saw him that night at the hotel, he says they talked about Dushan's firm selling Jeffrey's apartment. Stabler's like, why would your company deal with something that doesn't match all the high-end shit you normally do? Dushan says Jeffrey was nice and he didn't want to blow him off. Stabler jumps over the table and grabs Dushan by the lapels. Blow him off? Blow? What shade of lipstick are you wearing? (laughs) Oh my god. He doesn't like side jump too over the table like the <laughs> yeah both of his legs kick up <laughs> yeah we both have like violent stabler fantasies this episode <laughs> yeah he says that jeffrey seemed desperate to get rid of the property Stabes then asks for deshaun's whereabouts that night and he readily tells them he went back to his office then went out with friends i'd be glad to give you their names at the same time benson gets a call from toots and pops in oh we gotta go and lets deshaun know that they'll let him know if they need anything else by sports mm-hmm. it's so funny because like everything after this i kept saying sports too. you did <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like oh my god look at that he's so they know the th- things about sports and the like i mean tasha sport <laughs> we, we, we've we sported sport. before we're we're all the sport <laughs> we're, we're a couple of sports anyway i know it doesn't work but i thought it was funny. okay <laughs> At the precinct, Munch and Toots have some tea for Benny and Stabes. They found three separate cases that each contain part of what happened to Jeffrey that all have to do with a sex worker doing something to a client. All were in the Bronx and all were prosecuted by Abbott. Whoa! Mm. Andy Abbott killed Jeff York? That's maybe it. Later, Novak, Cragen, Benny, and Stabes are in Cragen's office going over case details. Cragen wonders why Abbott would kill Jeffrey. Stabler suggests that maybe they were lovers and had a fight. Cragen can't wrap his mind around Abbott being gay since he's never seen him on a pride float or sucking a dick or whatever. And Benny's like, wife and kids don't mean shit. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Stabler wants that DNA because he believes it'll be a match to Abbott. It's just mm-hmm. weird that it's like not everything. I guess the Occam's razor of it all would be like a thing to put a note on, I guess. And so I don't want to like put that on Cragen, but so he didn't seem gay. What does that mean? He wasn't wearing a leather harness to work. What do you think gay people look like? What does a gay person look like? Exactly. <laughs> you know? Right. Cragen tells them to get him to come in to talk. Lock him in with his story and then disprove it. Ring, ring. Craig and picks up the phone. What? And I'm like, geez. <laughs> Benny and Staves are left to figure out how to make questioning Abbott work. Because Abbott knows the game. He's just going to lawyer up and they won't get anything out of him. Staves thinks mm-hmm. that they shouldn't play him like a perp. Let's tell him we're stuck and need his help. Craig and hangs mm-hmm. up and sends Stabler to talk to Abbott. The call was from Corner Warner. She wants to see Benny. Mm. So now we're in Corner Warner's office. She tells Benson that she tested Jeffrey's blood and he had a fucking high viral load of HIV. You know, Benson already knows this. Benson tells her that her and Jeffrey dated five years ago and only had sex once and they used a condom and that she's going to get tested. She just hadn't had time yet. Corner Warner's like, you know, condoms are great, but not like 100%. She wants to test Benson right now. And Benson's like, chill, 
Daddy, I'll fucking do it. I'm going to do it. Daddy, chill. And Corner Warner says, Olivia, how many rape victims have you told to get the test? Would you tell them it's all right to wait? And Benson just says this like, okay, I'll do it. Like the, the, the look on her face was like, oh, fuck. It's that whole denial thing. Like she's a human, you right. know? Yeah. <clears throat> so Benson agrees and Corner Warner tells her to sit down and roll up her sleeve. She also says she won't do any of the paperwork and she'll do the test herself, which is great. Although like it kind of sucks that like you don't want people. I mean, there's a huge stigma attached still. Right. Now we're back in the precinct. Benson and Wong do a little walk and talk about the test. Benson's super worried about her possibly having HIV. Wong is trying to be supportive and he says that it's possible she could have gotten it, but her risk of exposure is super low. And then Benson's beating herself up. She's like, oh my God, how could I have missed this? And it's like, dude, it is not your fault. Mm-hmm. It's not your fault, honey. Wong stops her and he sits down and he's like holding her arms. And Wong tells her she's not the first woman to sleep with a closeted guy. He also says that sexuality is super complicated. And just because he was gay doesn't mean he wasn't attracted to her. Okay? That's not how that works. It also doesn't mean he was 100% gay. Right. Like, I mean, it's still wobbly, but sexuality being a spectrum is not something that was really talked yeah. about at the time. The fact that he even said that was kind of a big deal. But it was yeah. like, right. like if a man says he's bi, then he's just on the road to being gay. Right. Dude, for me, like the word bi is even too constraining for Same. me. Same. like... Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know. <laughs> I just I like think, the things that I like when I like them. I like people sometimes. Well, I don't even like the bi thing because it's like yeah. men or women. And it's like, what about all the in-between stuff? Yeah, exactly. The people that's not even, you know, on there. That's why it's like I prefer like having a fluid sexuality or pansexual or something like that. Because it's like yeah, the bi is, that's exactly right. Like you're still playing on the binary. It's, it's just, yeah. Give it a couple years and that, that won't even be yeah. verbiage. Abbott's wife comes into the precinct. She's fucking super worried and looking for him. Abbott canceled lunch with her and said that he was going to the precinct, but now he's not answering his calls and he's not there. He's not here. She's upset and says that Jeff was their best friend and wants to know if they have a suspect. And Benson's like, you know that I can't discuss that with you. She's Mm -hmm. like, I know. Abbott's wife asks if Benson knows where he is. She says she doesn't, but if she sees him, she'll make him call. Gulp. Benson goes into Cragen's office. Cragen, Huang, and Cabot are watching from behind the glass while Abbott and Stabler review case files. Abbott's helping to look for defendants with a grudge, but he doesn't know that he's actually the suspect. I know I said behind the glass, but that didn't count yet. Okay. I know. Okay. You do? I do know, because I watched it and I went, <gasps> and then I went, oh. Benson wants to warn Abbott's wife to get tested, but Wong says they cannot do that. HIV status is confidential even after death. Stabler pops in from behind the glass in Cragen's Fosse Dance Masterclass. <laughs> he teaches the young dancers all about this classic jazzy style of dancing, specifically <laughs> sultry hip rolls, smooth as silk finger snaps, and that sweet, sweet classic pigeon toe style. Some real Liza Minnelli shit. A one, two, three, pop! Craigan's eyelashes are huge. Okay. He's like, I'm pretty sure he's a shushback. That's that's my Liza Minnelli. (laughs) Stabler pops back to the other side of the glass and brings Abbott some coffee and tries to get some info out of him. Everybody's wearing tap shoes. Sorry, that was really late. (laughs) Abbott says he's looked through everything and can't really 
find anything new, Stabler's like, we gotta fucking try harder. Stabler says they need to imagine how all three of these separate MOs could lead to one crime, unless it was an inside job. And Stabler's like not really not being suspicious. Like he's not even trying, you know? He's supposed to like trick him into getting whatever. He doesn't even sit down. He's hovering him. Yeah. Abbott is immediately like, wait, you think this was me? Stabler says that it's kind of a strange coincidence that his case's MOs are all a part of Jeffrey's death. Hmm. And then Abbott's like, am I a fucking suspect? And I'm like, I, th- I thought we already covered that, <laughs> that you are. And Stabler's like, why? You want a lawyer? And Abbott says, I don't need one. I am a lawyer. That's stupid. What's stupid? It's stupid to pretend like you're going to defend yourself. Don't do that shit. I mean, I guess, but also he doesn't need a lawyer to tell him what he should and shouldn't answer because he is a fucking lawyer. I know, but he's still close to it. That's Mm. where I think like people that are in law like fuck up that way because they're like, I can do it. And you're like, you're so close to it that you're going to, it's better to have a third party be like, chill out, you know? Sure. And I mean, anybody in general to make, to maybe see something from an angle that you can't. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That's why we have therapy. Therapy. Um, Therapy and the legal system. Make sure you have some support. Are exactly the same. (laughs) Are exactly the same. Benson comes in. Abbott absolutely does not understand what his motives could be to kill Jeff. He was one of his closest friends. Mm-hmm. Benson's like, yeah, you guys were fucking friends, but you're also were having a relationship. Gay. <laughs> Gay. She thinks he couldn't let his wife find out. So Abbott strangled Jeffrey. And then she's like, oh, by the way, your wife stopped by and he gets fucking pissed. And he's like, what the fuck did you say to her? She's like, nothing yet. The music is all swelly. I gotta find another way. There's gotta be other ways to say that. There's got to be another way. The music starts. Oh, no. The music swells. Cyclonic. Cyclonic? I don't know. The music is all swelly. Abbott's. The music is tumescent. (laughs) The music is engorged. The music is rock fucking hard for four hours. (laughs) Rock fucking hard. (laughs) Just say swelly. You've said it for fucking three years. Just say swelly. Abbott threatens Benson with departmental lawsuits and slander charges if she says anything to his wife or anybody else. Benson tells Abbott that if he wants to prove anything, just give him a DNA sample. No big deal. He's like, you think I'm fucking stupid? A high profile case? Political pressure to make an arrest? You'll fucking frame me. Abbott says he wasn't there. He didn't kill Jeffrey. Abbott says he went to a poker game like he does every Wednesday. He already fucking told them that. So why haven't they checked that out yet? Are they just drawing this episode out longer? I don't know. Now we're in the office of Jerome Adams. Jerome says Abbott got to the poker game around 830 and he seemed pretty stressed out. Jerome got himself bumped up in this role. P.S. He played a grocer in season one and now he's this fancy guy who talks fancy. He's a babe. Yeah. Did you notice his voice, though? He was like, no, I believe he came around 830 and he seems stressed. Mm, I didn't notice. He talked fancy. (laughs) Hard cut. Uh, rock hard cut to munch and toots. (laughs) Throbbing hard cut to munch and toots. 
with another guy from the poker game. This dude will be back in 2017, so get ready. He tells them Abbott was stressed about the threat from Alvarez. Remember Alvarez from the beginning who was being looked at because he threatened Jeff in open court? This dude confirms that the absolute latest Abbott got to the poker game was 8.30. They ask Abbott's friend if he remembers what Abbott was wearing. He gets kind of defensive, saying that he thought Abbott was on the same side as these detectives. And I'm like, oh my God, are they all covering for him? Like, do they all know something? Mm -hmm. Do they? Another sloppy hard cut back to Jerome's office. Jerome says it sounds like they're accusing Abbott of something. Jerome's in the same boat as the other dude they're talking to in a completely different place. And he says it sounds like they're accusing Abbott of something. Benson tells him, dude, relax. It's just a routine background check. Where were you guys at for the game? P.S. He goes, we were at my brownstone in Park Slope. See, this guy's fancy as fuck. Mm -hmm. Benny asks if his wife stuck around and he tells Benny that she and a girlfriend go to the movies when the guys play poker. Five or six brothers, a couple of beers. It gets a little rowdy. And I was like, oh my God, are they all hooking up? Yes, Tasha. Mm -hmm. Like everybody knows this at this I point. Didn't, I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't? I was, I feel like, no. you know, it's because the end of it, but I was like, oh. <gasps> Oh my God, are all these guys hooking up together? That's what this poker game is. Back again with the other friend telling Munch and Toots about the no limit poker games that they play when Toots spots a framed photo. Toots asks if that's the group that plays poker. Dude's like, yeah, those are all the poker guys. One of the guys in the photo is mm. football player slash fucking real estate guy, Dushan McGovern. He mm -hmm. didn't tell us any of this. What? Nobody's telling you guys nothing. That's mm. crazy. Now we're back at the precinct. The whole gang is talking about the deets. Stabler wants to know why Abbott didn't mention that Dushan was at the game. Benson thinks it's because Abbott doesn't want the detectives to know he's friends with Dushan. Craigan wants to know why all these fucking poker game guys are protecting Abbott. And then Toots pops in and he thinks that they're all on the quote, down low. And Craigan's like, the down what? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I was like... <laughs> Toot says that they're all secretly having sex with other black men. And Stabler's like, oh my God, but they're all married with kids. And I'm like, shit, how could this possibly happen? How could this be? Like, that has nothing to do with anything. Shut up. Toots is like, oh my God, they say they aren't gay just on the down low. Like what happens at their poker games doesn't mean that's who they are outside of that. Toots kind of tries to explain the cultural differences between white men being gay and black men being, quote, down low. Mm -hmm. He says that when you grow up being black, you're supposed to become a man, a father, you go to church, you, you have your friends and family, and then, quote, says, they all see being gay as the white man's perversion. Mm -hmm. Benson says that white dudes have issues with it, too, but Toots says it's different when you're black. Then they all kind of side-eye him, like he's wearing a gimp suit or something. <laughs> And he says, don't look at me. I just know stuff. Iconic. I didn't know that was iconic. You didn't? No, never don't heard that. Don't look at me. I just know life. stuff. Oh. Craigan wants Benny and Staves to go back and talk to McGovern, but Toots wants to be the one that re-interviews McGovern. So he's like, no, let me. He's really intense. Now we're back at Dushan's apartment. Dushan tells Toots he offered to give Benny and Stabes the other poker players' names, but they didn't ask. That's why he didn't mention it. Yeah, he was like, I told them I went to meet yeah. up with friends. Mm. Toots asks him about the time frame of that night. It only took him 30 minutes to get to the poker game from the hotel. And then Dushan's like, well, I don't know, maybe it was nine. Mm -hmm. Toots then asks him if he was married or had kids, and he's divorced and with no kids. And he was like, maybe next marriage. 
I don't know. Toots kind of changed the subject and starts talking about how awesome at sports Dushan was. Then he asks why he didn't get the endorsement deals and jobs he was supposed to get after playing football. Like, usually people get, like, I don't know, car deals or energy drinks or whatever the fuck, you or know? they're, like, announcers, like, why? things like that. Yeah. Toots is like, why didn't that happen? Dushan stands up and gets kind of defensive and he says, what's your problem? Then Toots says, um, what's your problem? <laughs> <laughs> Dushan kind of dramatically walks to the window and says, I was an athlete, hero. Everyone looked up to me, my family, my friends. They still do. I want it to stay that way. And then Toots fucking says, quote, and they won't if they know that you do it with man. And I'm like, fucking chill, Toots. This went to the gay max really fast. Jeez. This is like that guy in that boat when Steeler's like, okay. He's like, shh. Right. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. Season one? Was that season one? I don't know. Where the guy's like, I don't really have anything to tell you. And Stabler's like, what about the fact that you're gay? Like from across the pier. <laughs> and he was doing that on purpose. like Rude. To, yeah. Not only rude, but like just fucked up. Don't out people. Here's yeah. the monthly reminder. Toots brings up that he thinks that Dushan is on the quote down low and that the poker games are actually them all having sex. I thought that too. I didn't at all. Until you said that, I was like, oh, dude, people are playing poker still. They're just like boning between or something. So Dushan kind of talks about that black men are supported by their community when they go to jail or do something wrong, but they are not when they're gay. Mm. Toot says Dushan was one of the last people to see Jeff alive. He needs to know what happened or he's going to go around and ask people about Dushan and ask everyone he knows about his, quote, sex parties. Like, fuck off. Dushan says he's not gay. He has relationships with women and sex with men. And Toots tells him, I got news for you. That means you're gay. But he says it in like the soft, comforting way. Like he didn't just threaten to blow up Dushan's entire life by outing him. Yeah. And, and also that doesn't mean he's fucking gay. I was going to say, I got news for you, Toots. That, that is not what that means. Yeah. Then the music gets all sweaty. <laughs> the music goes from okay. six to midnight. Woo! <laughs> Do you get it? But do you get it? Remember? The yeah. tape? Yeah. You get it? <laughs> Dushan tells Toots that the poker nights have been going on for four years, and after they act like nothing happened. Protection isn't used because bringing condoms means they're admitting why they were there. Jesus. Okay, what we fucking do to our men is nuts. They're risking their lives because of some social fucking whatever. Yeah. And fighting loopholes to be able to do what they really want to do inside of them. You know what I mean? Like, Right. I mean, there's more to this, it even in regards to the down low in the black community. Yeah. Um, and I and I hit yeah. a little bit of it at the beginning of the chaser, so we can go into it a little yeah. bit. But Well, and this black culture gay stuff, it's literally the reason the fucking ball culture started. They made their own communities and houses, quote, houses mm -hmm. to support each other and fucking survive. Yeah. When they were thrown on the streets by their own family, a trans black woman threw the first brick at Stonewall. That's right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like everyone. OK, everybody right now, listen, everyone fucking watch Paris is Burning. Oh, like my now. God. It's so watch good. it now. Yeah. OK, I have total fucking my nips are rock hard. Rock hard. Throbbing. Rock hard. <laughs> Okay, Dushan tells Toots that Jeff fell in love with Abbott at work and wanted Abbott to leave his wife. Oof. Abbott asked Dushan to, quote, get some sense into Jeff. And then Toots is like, oh, so you strangled Jeff and you took it too far? But he says that Abbott killed Jeff, but didn't mean to. Mm -hmm. And then he fucking says, Jeff would have dragged us all into a mess. Benson and Stabler are waiting outside for Abbott. He comes out of his apartment or somewhere. I'm not sure. Yeah. And they arrest him for Jeffrey's murder. Benson starts Mirandizing him, but he 
just Ugh. starts Mirandizing himself because he's I like, roll. I know. He's things. like, I know my Miranda. Right. Can you imagine doing that? Yeah. It's just like, we get it that you know. But any of us that watch these fucking cop shows would be like, D- you rest your vocal cords, honey. I know I'll do it. And then I was, I thought, I'm like, oh my God, is he going to get off on a technicality because they didn't do it? That's fully? what I thought they too. Because they have really? to Miranda. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Back at the precinct, Abbott is questioned by Benny and Staves and his lawyer, the chance is there. <laughs> Abbott's denying everything, being gay, being Jeffrey's lover and killing Jeff. He says that night Jeff had asked him to meet at the hotel bar to talk. Abbott knew something was up because Jeff had been acting tense around him, but he just assumed it was talk about the Alvarez death threat. But it was worse. It was gay. <laughs> He goes on to tell them the story of the evening. That night, this is him talking now. (laughs) That (laughs) night, Jeff told me he was in love with me. And I was like, sorry, bro, no homo. Jeff was super embarrassed. So we washed that down by getting hammered. So later, I'm trying to get out of there, but I couldn't get a cab. Here comes sloppy Jeff offering to give me a ride to my poker game. Then we drove past some sex workers and Jeff pulled over. I was like, what in the maybe he wanted to prove his manhood i guess who knows it's a horse of peace so i went first boom goes the dynamite <laughs> <laughs> like geez who does okay you just like did this okay <laughs> he's like he wanted to prove his manhood so i was like i'll go first when she finished with me well i'm obviously the one who finished <laughs> when i finished i left and cabbed it to brooklyn see simple <laughs> When asked why he didn't tell them that story the first time he was interviewed, Abbott's lawyer, fucking Zirko, chaunce, jumps in, yeah, and loses job and family over having a devil's three-way with a sex worker? No thanks. We'd rather impede an investigation of a murder. (laughs) Like, what? He's like, nobody can know that he did anything with a sex worker or with a man present. Yeah, he doesn't even admit to doing anything gay. He's just like, this guy saw my dick. I'd, I'd rather impede your investigation. And then Abbott is terribly acting and says, oh, my Lord. And he faints. If I hadn't left Jeffrey there, he would still be alive. Thank God for that Shea lounge for him Good to faint That on. fainting, fainting couch. couch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Vincent calls Abbott out on how badly he did at covering his bases. Hello, we've got Dushan's confession about you telling him that you murdered Jeff, dude. Mm-hmm. Abbott argues that Dushan just said what they wanted so they wouldn't tell people about his lifestyle. Mm. On the other side of the glass, they just finished dance practice. They're like, <sighs> <sighs> and Novak's like, oh my God, he's so good. Good job, everybody. Oh, Abbott's cockamamie story might work. <laughs> Hold on. <sighs> Toots thinks that the jury will see right through it. And Novak's like, "Mm, you sure about that? Will they? A handsome DA, family man, gets drunk and ends up in the wrong place at the wrong time. What? I mean, his story was literally like, my friend told me he was gay. We got drunk. It was stupid. So we like fucked some sex workers. Like that's, and and the guy's black. Like, come on. Right. They need to get Deshaun to testify. And then I was like, oh my God, he's going to wind up dead, isn't he? I was so off. Mm -hmm. I've been off lately. I'm ashamed. It's okay. It's the end of the season. We'll just... I want to die. <laughs> now we're in Dushan's office. Dushan tells Novak and Toots that there's no way he will testify. He denies telling Toots anything. He's like, I didn't say it. Toots, who's that? He's like, I'm, it's me. I'm here. I talk to you. <laughs> Novak tells him that he would testify in front of a grand jury. The proceedings are completely secret. Bullshit. Bullshit. Dushan thinks that the jury would gossip afterwards. 
I mean, he's famous. He's dealt with that shit when he was in the sports universe. Mm-hmm. Toots tells him that he will not have a choice if he gets subpoenaed. He's like, I'll be the one to haul your ass in, too. And Deshaun's like, I'll fucking lie in the stand to save myself. I don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. He says, quote, go ahead. Ask me if Abbott killed a man. I'll say, I don't know what you're talking about. And then fucking kicks them out of his office. And then they're both like, oh, dang. Well, there goes our case. <laughs> like, like, he said he would lie. Oh, shoot. We thought if we said you have to tell the truth, then he'd be like, oh, darn, no. Nah. Called her bluff. Yeah. He's like, I'll literally put my hand on the Bible and I'm a Christian man because he said whatever. He's like, I will lie in the Bible. I will put my hand in the Bible and fucking lie. I don't care. They're like, nobody does that. Oh, how did he know about <laughs> lying? <laughs> Novak tells Toots they need proof that Abbott and Jeffrey were lovers or their case is screwed. Back to Corner Warner's office. She updates Novak and Benson on her findings. Abbott is positive for HIV and shares the genotype that Jeffrey had. So that tells her that one of them passed it to the other. However, this evidence isn't conclusive. So that means it's not enough to bring it in front of a jury. Damn it. Oh, dang. Novak's like, I gotta go figure some shit out and takes off, leaving Corner Warner and Benson together. Corner Warner tells Benson that her HIV test came back negative. Phew. Phew indeed. Or as Darla would say, Youf. Youf. <laughs> Novak and Benson power blowout walk and talk down the precinct halls. They both have like amazing fresh blowouts. Yeah. Novak says it's not worth putting Warner on the stand because it would be too easy for the defense to find people that have the same HIV strain as Jeffrey mm-hmm. that have never met them. As soon as mm-hmm. they hit the bullpen, Toots tells them they've got company and she's Demon. Mm-hmm. Abbott's wife is at the precinct and upset as shit. She walks up to them, and I know she's mad and distraught, but her angry walk is so cute. She's like, click, 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 click. I know. Was she so- was like... <laughs> Abbott's wife is she's an amazing act especially the last scene I, was I like, talk about yes amazing we'll get th- yeah. we'll get there yeah she's mad that they think Abbott killed Jeffrey Novak tells her about Jeffrey and Abbott's affair but she won't believe it Oof. Oof. and then Novak tells her to get an HIV test I know I was like <gasps> oh no Mrs. Abbott's like fucking go to hell as soon as she walks away Benson's like Novak should you have done that and Novak mm. knows that she shouldn't have but said Mrs. Abbott needed to know Oof, Mm. this could be a problem. Oh, it is. In Novak's office, fucking Chaunce approaches Novak about a complaint from the Bar Association banning her from practicing because she told Abbott's wife about the HIV diagnosis. Novak argues that she was trying to protect Mrs. Abbott from getting HIV, but Mrs. Abbott took it as Novak trying to intimidate her. Mm. Chaunce says he'll tear up the complaint if she makes a deal with him. I'm like, you sneaky little fuck. Like, that was gross. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Novak also thought that and calls him out for trying to blackmail her. She goes, let me get this straight. You're blackmailing me and in the same breath accusing me of ethical impropriety. I'll take the Mm -hmm. suspension. Yoink. And Mm -hmm. snatch the papers from him. Good for her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you mean? I mean, good for her for not taking the deal. But I'm just saying I'm like still like, I can't believe you did that. I know. But the (sighs) good for her for not taking the deal. For that black for her for not that was bullshit. That was yeah. That was him trying to paint her tricky shit. She's like, no. I mean, this dude's trying to get man to five years probation for murder. Like that's fucking bold because he thought that he could corner her. Mm -hmm. So Chance yells at her that she's gonna lose her job, and she walks the fuck away. She doesn't give a shit. Now we're in the law office of if we're having drinks, call me Mary. Mm. Mm. Clark tells Novak that she. 
Mary, Mary Clark, that is. Clark tells Novak that she didn't have any legal right to tell Mrs. Abbott to get tested. And Novak's all fuck. She's just like yelling. Mm-hmm. Her life was at stake. And Mary says, well, congrats. In any other profession, you be humanitarian of the year. You'll be fucking lucky to get out of this with your skin. And then Novak's like, oh, my God, I'm fucking screwed. And she's like, you bet your sweet ass you are. You are. Mary, if we're having drinks, asked Novak if she told Mrs. Abbott about her husband to protect her or if she had something else in mind. Hmm. When we're having drinks, call me Mary. Did you get bangs? I hate them. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Now we're back at the Abbott house. Novak goes to speak with Mrs. Abbott. She opens the door. She's obviously upset. Mm -hmm. She's like, what the fuck are you doing here, you stupid cunt? End quote. (laughs) Novak asks her to hear her out. She came to apologize not to discuss the case. Novak tells her that she was totally wrong and that it wasn't her place to tell her about the HIV. Novak says that she thinks that she did that because if she was in her position, she would want someone to tell her. Mrs. Abbott tells Novak that she ruined her life by putting her husband's case on TV and in the papers. She's like, I don't know how to tell my kids about what's going on with her dad. And then she starts crying and she's like, and I don't know how to tell them that I have HIV. Uh, oh my god and novak's like i'm so sorry they're both kind of crying i mean no they're fucking crying mrs abbott doesn't want her kids to suffer and doesn't know what she's gonna fucking do i can't even fucking imagine i know now we're at the prison novak and mrs abbott go to see andy and fucking chance is present andy is an andy abbott her husband we've been calling him abbott yeah. this whole time i know you do <laughs> Oh, you do. There's an old, there's a colonial woman on the wing. Uh, (laughs) Chance tells Novak that she's fucking gone too far and threatens her to be disbarred. Mrs. Abbott's like, nope, dude, chill. I asked Novak to come with me. This scene is so insane. She's Mm. such an amazing actor. I can't even, okay. When she sits down to talk to him, I had fucking chills this entire scene. These two together were incredible, but she dominates. Like, just like snot running down your nose, crying, like fucking, you conjured that? his like gentle tears. Yes. Just, uh, because you can tell they just, they really, really do love each other. These actors like made you feel that. Yes. It's amazing. So I look everybody up. I check everybody's IMDb. Every time a new face comes on the screen, I go and look up their IMDb. I had to go back again to see if I missed something because her IMDb didn't have a lot of credits on it. She has seven credits and they're small roles. And the last one was in 2011. So I would love to know what the deal is because she should be fucking huge. Like her acting here. Oh, unbelievable. Oh, Mrs. Abbott sits down and talks to her husband and she starts telling him about how she remembers a card he had painted her for Christmas with little trees in the park and blah, blah, blah. She says that she fell in love with him that day and tells him that she loves him now and will always love him. Oh, she's crying. Oh my gosh, she's so good. Mm -hmm. She tells him that she forgives him for what he did, but she can't forgive him if he lets their children, his friends, and their families be destroyed. And then I hated this because it like plays into the whole thing about like the black men being men and whatever. Right, yeah. But she says she wants him to be a man and admit to what he did to avoid the trial so everyone else's lives aren't ruined abbott he's just like just loves her so much abbott tells her that he's sorry for what he did to her and that he didn't share his whole life with her Mm. i know 
he tells her that Jeffrey wanted him to leave his family and he couldn't. But it's weird because he wasn't like, I couldn't leave my family. He was like, I couldn't. And then pause and say, admit I'm gay. Ugh, it was just like, there's so much in, like nuance to all this. Yeah. He tells her that he killed Jeffrey. Novak and fucking Chance are looking over and Novak cuts a deal. Because, I mean, they're both being so painfully honest with each other mm. in this moment. Chance and Novak, they're in movie theater seats. They have 3D glasses on. Like, I don't know where all of this stuff came from, but they were like, oh my God. Yeah. They were just like, holy fuck. So Novak kind of side talks and she's like seven and a half to 15 years for manslaughter in the first degree only the plea and the sentencing goes on the record the rest gets sealed chance agrees and says he's going to drop the disciplinary complaint from the bar association he's like andy what do you think abbott agrees and then he and his wife embrace each other oh it's so and there's just tears and snot and the wives acting is fucking insane oh my god so intense fucking toyota toy gate (laughs) gayota toyota toyota Mm -hmm. Toy, Toyota. Yeah. Were you going to say Toy Bloda? No, I wasn't. (laughs) Yeah, Toyota. Fucking Um, Toyota. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Toots explained what being on the download is super well. He literally quoted a 2003 New York Times Magazine article when he said the American black community sees, quote, homosexuality as a white man's perversion. That's legit from an article. Mm -hmm. But what didn't get mentioned since it was the early aughts is something that sociologist Richard N. Pitt pointed out after heavy analysis of media over a number of years. This is just something that I wanted to mention, okay? Black bisexual men's behavior was pathologized and depicted in a negative light. For example, black DL men were heavily blamed for the spreading of HIV and AIDS to their female partners, like in the episode. Whereas Mm. white bisexual men's behavior was described in language leaning into pity or victimizing their need to be closeted because of the homophobia surrounding them. Example, Mm -hmm. Brokeback Mountain. Okay. This is not to say that anyone in the LGBTQA community has it easy at all. They fucking don't. It's just to point out the inherent racism that is covertly present in everything even in it's this. an it's an everything even in this black men living these covert lives are doing it to be sneaky and deceitful and de- they're looked at they're, like there's all these negative associations with it but then white men it's like those elements aren't attributed as heavily as it is on black men right i just feel like that was a thing to point out now that we're all aware of it let's move on if anybody anybody has information anything it's not your job to teach us but let us know if something sticks out and like we're always willing to learn stuff i just feel like with all of this this whole subject matter the blame stops at the black community for like this is what they do to their men and that's not the case it's a lot more nuanced than that there's a lot more to it than that and surprise racism wins again like it fucking is oh my god is that white supremacy is there some white supremacy in that oh my god it's everywhere Yeah. So anyway, we're here to talk about a crime. This one is a current story. So obviously it wasn't the inspiration for the episode, but it's life imitating art. Okay. In early 2022, Nasir Johnson was a 20 year old openly gay black man living in West Philadelphia. Because of the nature of the story, we will not be singing the Fresh Prince theme song. Gabe, I'm sorry if you thought about it. Oh my God. It It was so hard for me. I know. know, We're not doing it. I love you so much. It was so hard for me not to go back to West Philadelphia. I know. I I know. I love you too. Nasir had graduated from Charter High School for Architecture and Design in 2018. He planned to enroll in the Community College of Philadelphia first for business administration with the goal of becoming a psychologist one day. In the interim, he was working as a home health care aide. A lot going on for this guy. 
Mm-hmm. Nasir left his house in an Uber on the evening of February 17th, 2022. His grandmother, Cynthia Johnson, who had raised him since he was a toddler, called in a missing persons report the next day when her grandson didn't return home. Around noon on February 20th, just a few days later, Philadelphia police were called to Brewery Hill Drive and Kelly Drive with reports of a person screaming. When they arrived to the location, which was Fairmount Park, they were shown what the person had found, a completely charred body behind a tree along a cobblestone path. The body Mm. was later identified through DNA because they were so far from being Mm. recognized through DNA testing as Nasir. The cause of death was a gunshot wound to his neck. Initially, the police had zero leads, nothing. Cynthia didn't know where her grandson had been headed the evening he had left, so she started contacting his friends. One of them told her that Nasir had been seeing a guy people called 29th Street Rich. Police had also received a call on their tip line. The anonymous caller directed them to 20-year-old Kylan Pratt, nickname 29th Street Rich. Pratt was, at the time, in jail after a March 23rd arrest on an outstanding warrant for assaulting his daughter's mother. Evidence in the case piled up pretty quickly against him, okay? Cell phone records obtained by police placed the two together the night of Nasir's murder. They also show that Pratt was on the trail in the park that night. There were also searches on his phone for sex with a corpse. I know. To add on to that, there were texts showing that Pratt was intending on hiding from police before being arrested in March. Mm. When police searched Pratt's place, they found some just cliche SVU shit. Pratt's bedroom carpet was soaked in Nasir's blood along with bleach in an apparent attempt to clean it up. Mm. Not only had Pratt shot Nasir in the neck, moved his body to another location and set it on fire, he went back to the park the next day and set him on fire a second time. What is with these dumb fucking people thinking that they can, like those fucking girls that that burned their- That were like, oh, if you burn, it gets rid of everything. You're like, what? And this is 2018? 2022. 2022? Yes. Yeah, you're just an idiot. And thank God. Right. That they fucking caught your stupid. Just whatever. ADA Sydney Pope said, quote, this is the most badly burned body I have seen outside of a house fire. Jeez. When they tested his DNA, they had to go into his spleen to get it because so much was unusable. The motive for the murder became clear to police as they went down the rabbit hole of cell phone records. Pratt was on the down low, dating women, but also secretly having sex with men, one of whom was Nasir. Mm-hmm. Pratt had become concerned that Nasir was going to expose their relationship and killed him to prevent it. At the July 11th preliminary hearing, Pratt was held on murder, abuse of a corpse, possession of an instrument of crime, and tampering with evidence. Nasir's grandmother felt that he should have been charged with a hate crime as well. And I agree. But... Mm-hmm. Like, you'd rather kill somebody so that people don't know that you're gay. Like, mm-hmm. you kill people about it? Like, our society is so fucked Society, yeah, yeah like it our is, society is so fucked that this is what that that isn't an, an option for somebody, right? It's fucking wild. He had a trial date set for August first of twenty twenty two, but I couldn't find anything beyond July in my research, so I don't know if there have been delays or shit just hasn't been released or what. I'll update you if anything new comes up, but I mean, he'll definitely be spending a decent portion of his life in prison, if not the remainder of it, based on his mm. charges. Yeah, fucking gross. I know. 
Okay, so this is coming out on the 6th, all right? We have to take a couple weeks. I am going on a family vacation, okay? And I literally have no way of being able to record. Also, I'm not going to do a bunch of work on a family vacation. <laughs> Good. You always are working on your family vacation, so just go I know, and enjoy I yourself. I know, I know. I mean, I'll probably do some editing and stuff, but we also have like a super long flight, so. Yeah, that's work. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Oh, well, I'm saying like, I can't, if I could record while we were in an airplane, I would do that. I'd be like, shh, I'd be cackling. <laughs> I know. I was just trying to imagine the hatred that you would get from everybody around you. <laughs> just me full blow. I, oh my God. Wide open mouth cackling. <laughs> <laughs> like then the music got rock hard for four hours. And you'd be like, <laughs> Stewardess is there. like turn this turn this plane plane around. She won't shut up. <laughs> She's arrested. She's getting arrested. This plane is torpedoing through the sky. <laughs> it's getting every cloud pregnant on its way through the air. <laughs> um. So yeah, we can't do that. Sorry, guys. I don't know. I was thinking about maybe putting out a little bloop, a little Patreon sample or something to tide people over because then we just have a few more episodes before the end of the season. Mm -hmm. So our next episode is going to come out on June 27th. Okay, so it's just a teeny tiny couple of little bitty weeks. When we come back, we got season five, episode 21, Criminal. So it's pretty obvious that a forensics expert raped and murdered a student. But like decades earlier, Cragen arrested a criminology expert for similar crimes. But is this dude the perp or a victim? Wild guess, perp. But uh, who knows? I haven't seen it. So wild. I mean, I'm sure I have years ago, but God, what a good episode that was. I know. Specifically the very end. <laughs> That was so emotional. Like that scene. Write and review us. Email us at supod at gmail.com. Send us stuff. You know, I like I like it. Do you want to send us something? That would be great. Mm -hmm. Even a handwritten letter. I'm not even joking. I love that shit. Handwritten letters? Yeah. P.O. Box 176 DeForest, Wisconsin 53532. And check out our Instagram at SVU at SVU pod. Get, 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 get pod merch and more at svupod.com. Join the Facebook group, SVU Pod Elite Squad, and our chat group called Walk and Talk. Hashtag little bit loud for indie pods. So either mm -hmm. search the hashtag if you want to find little indie pods to support, or if you are an indie pod and you want to be found, use the hashtag. Yeah. And join the Patreon. We got tons of fucking content, like tons. Yeah. A bunch. This Patreon episode is going to be fucking ridiculous because we're like, let's sit down and record. Let's just bust this out. Currently, our recording's at two hours and 37 minutes. I will probably be able to get it down to maybe two hours for the Patreon. So hope you like that. We have so much stuff. We were we were on one, dude. I know I was. I we just had a lot of things to tell you. We were 18 minutes into recording and only on minute one and a half yeah. of the actual episode. <laughs> like that's <laughs> disgusting. We're trash. Gross trash. Sorry, you have to edit through all that. That's it. Yeah. Love, Love you. Bye. bye. If you're all like sad and shit, I'll be like, <laughs> no, I wouldn't. I would Ugh. never. Okay. Oh my god, this is what if I one. joke We're... sang? Oh my god, I'm gonna joke sing Sarah McLaughlin at your funeral, <laughs> but like really bad, and everybody's gonna have to pretend like it's good because they're like, this is really hard for her, so we're just gonna like let her have it. And I'll be like, in the arms of the angel. People will be coming up to me after, going, Tasha Gabe would have loved that. <laughs> 
You'll have a speaker with no music coming out of it, though. Like, hold it over your head. Acapella. We're literally planning my death and funeral. I know, but like, it's got to be good. It does. I imagine that your if that your casket will look like the castle in Little Mermaid. It'll just be like beautiful and like diamonds be- with hidden dicks and shit. <laughs> I won't be buried in it, though, because Gabe will just dump me into the dirt hole and take the casket home. And then dive in. Okay, can we finish this, please? Okay. This this second scene, you mean? Yeah. Vincent, what, how many minutes are we at? Uh, recording, we're at 18 minutes and 47 seconds. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? In the episode, okay. we're at one minute and five seconds. Let's go. I'm going to be the best grocery bagger this side of the Mississippi. <laughs> Okay. Don't get ahead of yourself. We won't find out to the competition. <laughs> Don't put your eggs in all in one basket or whatever that saying is. Put them on the okay. top. You would know. You're one of the best grocery baggers. Okay. Can we go? <sighs> we are on minute 15, but on recording hour and 15. Let's We're go. on minute 15. That's it. Oh yes, God, dude. I can't do this. I'm so sweaty. Just a couple of raisin fisting, double fisting <laughs> raisin white bitches over here. <laughs> <laughs> Two scoops? Fuck yeah! <laughs> What's that penis pill? The blue one? Viagra. That's why I said four hours. The music probably took some Viagra because it is thick as fuck and just getting thicker. <laughs> All the blood has flowed into the music. <laughs> the music needs to call its doctor because it's been... <laughs> the music wants to reach around. Don't forget. Mind the stepchildren. <laughs> okay. The music is fucking rock hard for four hours. <laughs> that shit was amazing. Oh. <laughs> fucking four hours. <laughs> oh, you got tears in me eyes. Oh, you got tears in me eyes, Tersha. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, the music's a dick. <laughs> the music's a dick. The music is a fucking dick. It's crazy. I just got a fucking <laughs> dick pic from the music. <laughs> it's ready to go. Okay. 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 He threatens Benson. <laughs> I just got an unsolicited dick pic from the music and I'm not even pissed. Okay. Am I doing better at inflection? I'm trying. Mm-hmm. Benson tells Abbott that if he wants to. <laughs> okay. Stop laughing at stuff so we can keep going. I'm just. Oh my I'm, God. It, this is all you. Oh, yeah. That's not true. I was just joking. I know. I don't care. Move on. Okay, okay, okay. And to our Elite Squad patrons, Sonia W., Marissa M., Elki H., Annie G., Mary D., Andrew, Rebecca D., Miranda B., Shelby W., Lex, Emily T., Kayla W., Mallory G., Benita R., Maren, Vanessa, Amy P., Melanie G., Courtney W., Ursula S., Kate H., Uyunga, Kayla J, Catherine M, Kate P, Jessica S, Nicole M, Acacia V, Katarina G, Danielle W, Kelsey D, Jana M, Joshua H, Tammy J, Bear, Crystal, Lucy M, Trisha S, Sam D, Mac Attack, <laughs> Mac and Cheese, put some hot dogs in that Mac. KCW, Abby W, Alexis J, Lauren T, Kaylin B, Camille Z, Nisha D. G, Maggie D, K. Allen, Katie M, Eliza W, Crystal B, Jessica P, Zahn and J, Nada M, Sin, Christina D, Madison H, Emily Oakley Doakley, Neighborino, oh, Victoria B, <laughs> Scout G, Melissa M, 
Desiree D, Drew B, Drew B, Amberly C, Sapphire. Monica K, Katie S, Trish S, Angela D, Brenna T, Andrea M, Natasha S. Tashi, thanks for oh, the- Oh yeah, thanks for the fucking yeah. shit, dude. Let's play that game. I know, yeah. Andrea H, Miranda B, Al H, Nikki R, Sarah J, Aunt Sarah. Aunt Sarah. Caitlin S, Emily D, and Katie H. Thanks, you guys. We love you and appreciate you, you guys. And thanks for making this shit possible for we us to do. appreciate you so much. Yeah, I really do appreciate you guys. Every other time we've said it, I didn't mean it, but I mean it this time. 